Today's sermon is entitled, The Sabbath's True Purpose, and you'll see the outline uh, for this message on the back of the news sheet uh, that you picked up on the way in. The Sabbath uh, was the sign of the covenant that God made with his people Israel through Moses. It was meant uh, to be a time of rest and remembrance. A time to practically acknowledge God's provision by ceasing to work on one day each week. It was something that set Israel apart from all the other nations surrounding it. For what other nation could claim that their divine Lord had commanded them to rest in Him? But sin perverts even the most beautiful of things. This incredible gift from God was turned into an extraordinary burden. Rather than resting in God's merciful provision, by the time of the first century, the Jews, and in particular under the leadership of the Pharisees, they had developed an intricate system of works that they might earn their standing before God. But this was completely futile. James chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. It's a futile attempt. A just standing before God is impossible in a sinner's strength. So the Pharisees were condemning themselves with their actions. But moreover, they were condemning all who went along with them. The desire for self-righteousness meant that genuine righteous living on the Sabbath was avoided. Uh, In order to obey God's command not to work on the Sabbath, they had restricted it so much that acts of mercy were even deemed unlawful. Only if it were a complete emergency uh, was there any leeway given. But anything short of this was deemed unacceptable. But was that God's intention when he first instituted the Sabbath? Well, thankfully, the opportunity to understand this firsthand had arrived in Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, God in the flesh. If you wanted to know God's understanding of the Sabbath, ask him. At the end of Mark chapter 2, Jesus had declared himself the Lord of the Sabbath. It was a claim to deity. It was a claim of absolute authority. He had instituted the Sabbath. Therefore, he could define and explain it. But of course, this was met with a head-on collision by the Pharisees, not willing to give up their own sense of authority, Uh, The incident that we'll look at today will end with them planning murder. When we fail to trust in God's provision, when we fail to trust in the revelation of Jesus Christ, we refuse God's mercy and we end up refusing mercy to others. So please turn with me to Mark chapter 3 and we're going to read verses 1 to 6. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And again he entered the synagogue. 
And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Well, this is the last in a, a series of challenges at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Challenges against his identity and his mission. In authoritatively explaining the Sabbath's true purpose... Jesus' actions led to the planning of his death. Now, while this is part of God's sovereign plan, Jesus, uh, his death was not an accident. It was not merely the will of man. It was God's sovereign will. And yet at the same time, it's still carried out willfully by men. And so as we come to understand the Sabbath's true purpose today, we begin point one, a Sabbath ambush. This is how it happens. Let me read the verses 1 to 2 again. And he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Here is a Sabbath ambush. The previous encounter with the Pharisees uh, at the end of Mark 2 was out in the grain fields Now, most probably, the following Sabbath, there is an encounter in the synagogue that Mark states, again, he entered the synagogue, and that it was the synagogue means it was probably the Capernaum synagogue, the place where much action has already been recorded in Mark's gospel. Uh, That this final challenge against Jesus' authority happens in this synagogue shows just how far things have progressed. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 21, uh, we saw that Jesus taught in the synagogue and then he cast out a demon. This is what uh, set off his popularity in the first place. But even though that was a Sabbath day, there is no mention of any animosity towards him as a result. Now, however, things have changed dramatically. It should be noted that Prior to the two Sabbath controversies recorded here in Mark's Gospel, Jesus had already stirred up controversy on the Sabbath in Jerusalem. After the issue of Jesus' disciples not fasting, which is recorded in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, it seems logical to see the events of John chapter 5 happening right here with Jesus then returning back to the region of Galilee, only to be accosted in the grain fields. So, what happens in John chapter 5? Well, John, sorry, Jesus uh, had gone up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And he was walking past the pool of Bethesda, and he approached an invalid man. And he asked him if he wanted to be healed. And with a word, Jesus told him to get up, Take up your bed and walk. And the man did just that. Now, that should be cause for celebration, right? Well, not according to the Pharisees. Why? 
because it was a Sabbath. And they were angry at the man for carrying his mat, forgetting completely that this guy uh, five minutes ago was lying on the floor not able to walk. But they were especially angry at Jesus. Let me just pick up from John chapter 5 and verse 15. It says this, The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus was breaking their precious traditions, but he was also making incredible claims about himself. If Jesus were not equal with God, uh, then he was indeed guilty of blasphemy. However, if Jesus was equal with God, then he was perfectly within his right to make these claims. In fact, throughout the rest of John chapter 5, Jesus lays out a solid defense for the truthfulness of his claims. So when Jesus returns to the region of Galilee, we can see that the elements of the Jerusalem encounter, they are drawn out even more. So in Jerusalem, Jesus had claimed equality with the Father. My Father is working and so am I. In Galilee... Jesus affirms this clearly by declaring himself the Lord of the Sabbath. In Jerusalem, Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and Jewish leaders were seeking to kill him. In Galilee, the Pharisees are now lying in wait to find evidence that they can use against him to bring about said execution. So, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is carrying on his teaching ministry in the synagogue. He's been down to Jerusalem, he's come back up. He's had been accosted in the grain fields over his disciples, picking husks of wheat. He's dealt with that. A week later, here he is teaching again in the synagogue. And the Pharisees are ready to pounce because they know there is a man there in the synagogue also who has a withered hand. And surely Jesus is not going to miss this opportunity to heal him. Now, has that man come by his own volition or has he been purposefully invited along by the Pharisees? Uh, We can't know either way for certain. The point is, the Pharisees know this guy is there and it is the perfect ambush. Now, please note two further things. One... There is no doubt in the Pharisees' mind that Jesus can heal. The question for them is, will he? Now, how hard then must their hearts have been to be thinking this? Jesus is validating the claims of his identity by the miraculous works that he is doing. But they have decidedly set themselves against him. But secondly, this hardness goes even further in that they are so determined to trap Jesus, they are hoping, hoping he will break their traditions. As one commentator notes, the withered hand of the man is nothing 
compared to the withered souls of these religious examiners. But is Jesus caught off guard by any of this? Not at all. So a Sabbath ambush is met by point two, a Sabbath analysis. You read verses three and four. He said to the man with the withered hand, this is Jesus, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they, the Pharisees, were silent. Now, if we read these verses parallel to the accounts given in in Matthew and Luke's Gospels, uh, they may seem contradictory at first. You can go home and and check these out, but just uh, listen to this. Mark, he says that Jesus addressed the Pharisees first, but Matthew says it was the Pharisees who spoke first. Secondly, Luke said that Jesus knew the Pharisees' thoughts and then he addressed them. But if the Pharisees spoke first, like Matthew records, then how is it true that uh, Jesus knew their thoughts? Now, if you're looking at that simply, it may seem contradictory at first. But when we study the text, uh, we realise that they are actually in perfect harmony. If I can recommend to you one book today, uh, it would be One Perfect Life. It's a book uh, written a few years ago now by John MacArthur, One Perfect Life. It's a harmony of the Gospels and... uh, It's a new style of harmony as as to ones that have been written in previous years in that he's he's blended the individual verses uh, of the Gospels to show that there is no error, there's no contradiction whatsoever. If you see uh, their words together, we see clearly that these are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So let me just read these verses blended together from Matthew, Mark and Luke's account. And they asked him, so the Pharisees asked Jesus, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? But he knew their thoughts, and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise, step forward and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. So all three gospel writers focus on certain aspects of the event. Uh, They have not made any error by leaving other aspects out, for we see they are in complete harmony with one another. Scriptures are inerrant because they are God's word. So from Matthew's account, we know that it was in response to the Pharisees' question that Jesus calls forward the man with the withered hand. The Pharisees, they are trying to provoke Jesus uh, into breaking the Sabbath law. By their interpretation, it was only lawful to heal someone if the matter was life-threatening. Anything short of this uh, was considered work. And according to Exodus 31 and verse 15, the punishment for working on the Sabbath was clear. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. There's no ambiguity in that. So, for 
the Pharisees, uh, medical assistance uh, could only be rendered in a situation of life and death. If you didn't fall into that category, then sorry, but come back tomorrow. The problem with this interpretation is that it is completely wrong. Completely wrong. Nothing in God's law prohibited acting mercifully to another person on the Sabbath. On the contrary, in Jesus' analysis of the Sabbath, he is about to show that it is always lawful to do good. And so Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew their motivation for asking this question. He knew the ambush that had been set for him. And he also knew that it provided him opportunity to show that he was Lord of the Sabbath. And so he met it head on. He called forward the man with the withered hand. Like the healing that took place in Jerusalem uh, by the pool of uh, Bethesda, Uh, Jesus, again, is the initiator here. Luke reminds us that Jesus had been teaching up the front uh, and now he calls the man up the front. This is no private affair. Uh, Even before this, the man would have stood out when the congregation stood for prayer, uh, lifting their hands to shoulder height and their palms open. No one would have missed the only person there with his hands shut. And now no one is certainly missing him now that he's up the front. So with this man by his side, Jesus now turns the tables on the Pharisees. Jesus now asks them a question. Jesus now gets to the true purpose of the Sabbath. And Jesus now exposes the true purpose of the Pharisees. And he says to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. So to their single phrase, he expands with two parallel statements. And the stark contrast drives home the point. He essentially tells the Pharisees that their interpretation leads to harm and it leads to death. This is the complete opposite of what the Sabbath is all about. Even in the the Pharisees' own practice is this seen to be true. In, In Matthew's account, we see Jesus draw this out. In Matthew 12, verse 11, Jesus also says, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, the sheep might not be dying, but it would certainly be scared or or hungry or perhaps injured. And yet, uh, Jesus uh, knows that none of the Pharisees would leave it in distress until the Sabbath ended. They would do all they could to help it immediately. But if that's the case for a sheep, why not the case for another human being? Especially considering what Jesus says next. Verse 12, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? According to Genesis chapter 1, man as male and female is created in the image and likeness of God. How much more value is a man than a sheep? The value is indescribable. And hence Jesus' conclusion. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
The purpose of the Sabbath was for the Israelites to rest in the provision of God. If they worked, they were showing they did not trust him to provide. But to deny acting mercifully to others on the Sabbath was contrary to its blessed purpose. And what a ridiculous notion to think that the day designed for blessing is somehow the day for withholding mercy. But this is where the works righteousness of the Pharisees had led them. Their desire for legalistic adherence had blinded them to the need to act mercifully. But this is what can happen when you believe you have to earn your way to God in your own stead. It can lead to a sense of every man for himself. But there is a glorious freedom that comes from relying solely on God's merciful provision. For if we are saved completely by his gracious work, then our focus can be solely on expressing that grace to others. The clarity of Jesus' Sabbath analysis is so strong and authoritative that it leaves the Pharisees speechless. They are completely silenced. They've been bested again by the authoritative teacher. They know Jesus to be right. They know themselves to be wrong. And yet this doesn't lead to repentance. It only leads to silence. They are stewing in their anger. So Jesus responds further with a miraculous work that shows the purpose of the Sabbath, but also shows he has the authority to say these things. So point three, a Sabbath affirmation. Verse five, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees' malicious intent, the hardness of their heart, uh, their failure to act in mercy is met with great force in Jesus' response. Now, anger is not always a bad thing. It depends on the motivation and on the direction. Now, Jesus is the sinless Son of God. So there's nothing wrong with his motivation here. And the anger is directed against unrighteousness directed against those who've hardened themselves to God's ways and are hurting others in the process. It is the same anger that Jesus exhibited in his pre-incarnate state against the disobedience of Israel. Look at the triune God's response in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. But Jesus' anger is tempered with sorrow. Disobedience to the Lord will lead to just punishment, but it is a sad occasion for the Lord. Hear these words from Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Towards the end of his public ministry, Jesus wept over Jerusalem, declaring in Matthew 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent to it, who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. In response to the Pharisee's silence, Jesus turns to the man and simply says, Stretch out your hand. And what happened? He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Remember, this man is standing at the front of the synagogue beside Jesus. All there knew the man's hand was deformed. All there could see for themselves. All there witnessed the incredible miracle as the withered hand was transformed and renewed right before their eyes. But while this Sabbath affirmation should lead to repentance, faith and praising Jesus as the Son of God, it leads instead to an unholy partnership. And so point four, we see a Sabbath alliance. Verse six, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. This decision serves as extraordinary evidence of the need for God's regenerating work in a sinner's life to enable them to believe. It serves as a critique of any ministry endeavour aimed at convincing people to believe in ways that do not make a clear proclamation of the gospel. And why do I say this? Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had all just witnessed firsthand Jesus' miraculous power. They saw the man's withered hand restored to new right before their eyes. This was no David Copperfield moment here. There's no illusions here. This was a bona fide miracle. And what do they do? They come together to plot Jesus' death. Without the Holy Spirit working uh, through the word to open a sinner's heart, nothing will cause them to believe. And yet... The scriptures affirm again and again that all people are responsible for their disobedience to God and are called to repent. The depth of the disobedience of these groups is highlighted by two factors here. First, they hate each other. They hate each other, the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees were a religious group. They were sticklers for their traditions in order to separate themselves from the pagan world. And who encapsulated their vision of the pagan world? The Herodians, who were a secular group uh, that got their name as followers of King Herod, Herod the Great, who had received his kingship over Israel by cozying up to Rome. So from this basic understanding, you can see why they despised each other. But as the old saying goes... The enemy of my enemy is my friend. More than their hatred for each other was their hatred of Jesus. Jesus' teaching struck at the heart of the Pharisees' works righteousness. Jesus' teaching also struck at the heart of the Herodians' desire for power. 
So, a conspiracy was born to put aside their own differences. I'll get back to killing each other later. Uh, A conspiracy was born to put aside their own differences and work together to destroy their greatest threat. And if this was not bad enough, their disobedience is highlighted by a second factor. They are planning death on the day which is designed for preserving life. Jesus had asked, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? The Sabbath is meant for doing good, for saving life, yet here they are seeking to do harm, seeking to kill. It's an incredible irony. Moreover, their motivation to destroy Jesus is not even based on the logic of their own reasoning. It was against the Pharisees' traditions to work on the Sabbath. Okay, we get that. But let's review what Jesus did here. How had he performed any work that would be considered unlawful even by the Pharisees' standards? Jesus did no work. He didn't even lift a finger. He simply uttered a word and the man was healed. And if the man could be charged for lifting his fingers, then they would have all been guilty in the synagogue that day as they all lifted their hands to pray during the service. It simply shows that when people have hardened themselves to truth, rational discussion goes out the window. It is clear that the Sabbath's true purpose is life-giving. The action of the Pharisees on the Sabbath is incredibly ironic. They're planning death on a day for life. Their desire for obeying God's laws shown then as a complete farce. But even though this passage teaches us about the Sabbath's true purpose, it leads us moreover to an understanding of the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, the Son of God, the true interpreter of the law. And yet he did not simply come to explain the law, he came to fulfil it. He came to live in complete obedience to the law, that he might earn a perfect righteousness before the Father. He came to die as a substitute for the sins of his people, to turn away God's righteous and holy wrath from all who would believe in him. Through faith in Christ, his death brings the forgiveness of our sins. His life brings a perfect righteousness credited to us. Through faith, sinners may stand justified before holy God. Only by submitting to the Lord of the Sabbath will we experience God's merciful rest. And here we see the true purpose of the Sabbath. It points us to Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we... We thank you so much again for your word that reveals your truth to us. We thank you for this episode in in Jesus' public ministry where he silenced his opponents with the truth. Father, we thank you that the heart of your laws is a a desire for life. Father, we uh, acknowledge our own sinfulness and failure before you that even we... um, 
We turn your good things into burdens as we seek to try and earn our way to you. But Father, thank you for your grace that saves us as we respond to the word. Father, we thank you that there is, though there is nothing that we can do to to make ourselves right with you, uh, we thank you for the work of the Saviour and Lord Jesus Christ, who has done all that is necessary that we may believe in him and stand righteous before him. Father, we thank you, and in his name we pray. Amen.